In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. Whatever happened to teeter-totters? And I'm not talking about the like, plastic ones for, for the little kiddos like this. I'm talking about old school, kind of teeter-totters we had on my playground. Now, of course, I was little, but it sure seemed to me like they were huge. And like when you get on the teeter-totter, it would take you six to eight feet up into the air, right? I can't find them on playgrounds anymore. I, I guess they're sort of just too dangerous these days. But what's even more dangerous is if you see life like the teeter-totter. The life is a competition. You want to be successful, you want to win, which means somebody's got to lose. You want to get to the top of the teeter-totter, which means they're going to go to the bottom. Because, see, inevitably, I want one thing, you want something else, so I'm going to use all of my energy and thrust myself up to the top and to the bottom you go. Now, I love how Jesus catches the disciples and how he asks them, hey guys, what were you talking about? Guilty silence. They knew they were caught because, see, Jesus had just been talking about how he was going to go low, how he was going to suffer and how he was going to die, and they're talking about who's the goat disciple, who's the greatest of all time. Oh, guys, is it ever, ever going to sink in? But you know, people are religious because we sense that there is something great about us, right? We do sense that because it's true that we are made for and we are destined for greatness, but it's not what you think. It's not what the rest of the world thinks, at least. See, if what we want is real religion, it's the total opposite. It's not about me winning, about getting myself way up on the top of the teeter-totter and casting you down to the ground. It's not about me winning and you losing. It's total opposite. But if you've been a Christian for any time at all, then you probably already know this, right? We know that we're called to be servants. But I ask you, has it really sunk in. Because here's the thing, and what James is driving at in our second reading, is that I am born thinking that it is all about me. I spend most of my living existence pursuing my passions, as he says, my personal pleasures. It's an interesting word that he uses there. If we translate it literally into English, the word is hedonism. We're all a bunch of hedonists at heart. And if you think about it, there's two big motivations that we have in life. One is to avoid pain. The other is to pursue pleasure. We go after these constantly. Think about it. In your daily routine, your daily life, what, what's moving you and what's motivating you? I, I, I bet it's these things. Because, hey, who wants pain? Nobody. Who wants pleasure? <laughs> Everybody. Yeah. And really, there's not... There's nothing wrong with that in and of itself. But if that's my only motivations in life, that's the only thing that is driving me, then you are eventually going to be an obstacle 
or you are the means to my end. So, to the bottom of the teeter-totter, you go. Let me put it this way. Let's look at the words that James uses. You tell me which list is better. Being jealous, selfish, causing chaos and conflict, being vile, so desperate to get what you want that you're murderous, maybe not with your hands, right? But maybe with your words, maybe with your heart. Or second of all, how about being pure, peaceable, gentle, agreeable, merciful, steady, sincere, righteous? Which one's better? It's obviously number two, right? I mean, what kind of person do you want to be around? What kind of person do you want to be? There's another big motivator in life, isn't there? Oh, yes, avoid pain. Yes, pursue pleasure. But the third one is love. But love isn't what everybody thinks it is these days. That is an ooey-gooey feeling. No, love, love is a deliberate choice of your will, which is willing to accept suffering and pain and to sacrifice your own personal pleasures for something greater for someone else. But that's going to require humility, right? Now, we think of humility as something like Eeyore. Humility doesn't mean you're not great. No, that's not at all what it's getting at. Oh, I'm a nobody. I'm just old Eeyore. That's not humility. Here's a great definition of humility. Humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking about yourself less. So Jesus takes these disciples, talking about being the goat, and he puts them in a circle, and he sits down, and he teaches them, and he teaches us about real greatness. And he says, if anyone wishes to be first, he shall be the last of all and the servant of all. And then Jesus, for a sermon illustration, takes a child into his arms. The Greek word means that it could, be, could mean that this, this child was even a little baby infant, a little toddler, and then he says to them, if any, whoever receives one such child is this in my name receives me, and whoever receives me receives not me, but the one who sent me. Aw, isn't that cute? Jesus is holding a little baby. Oh, that's so great. Yeah, it is. But what, do we understand what he means? If you're a parent, you understand what he means. If you're a parent, when you receive a child from God, it means you're going to change blowout diapers, you're going to get puked on, you're going to be up all hours of the night, you're going to go sleep-deprived for what seems like years, you are going to worry constantly about your child. See, once you become a parent, it's not about you anymore, is it? You lose your life. It's over. <laughs> You have to humble yourself. But as a parent, you are willing to endure any pain. You are willing to sacrifice everything for the sake of your child. You humble yourself. Your side of the teeter-totter goes crashing to the ground. But if you're a parent, it's the greatest, isn't it? It's the best. Because it's all for love. 
This is why Jesus is teaching us about what it really means to be great. It's not just for those of us who are parents. He's telling us this is how you receive, this is how you interact with any person that you meet. If you receive them, you are receiving me. Whoever receives one such child, such as this in my name, receives me. And whoever receives me, receives not me, but the one who sent me. Here's the craziest part of all. God himself became a little infant, did he not? Born of Mary, a tiny tiny toddler who was helpless and totally dependent. This is the mystery of our faith. The all-powerful God puts himself in our hands. Helpless. So what are we going to do with him? Cast him aside so it can be all about me. Or am I going to lose myself? Am I willing to endure any pain, sacrifice any personal pleasure for something greater, for the joy of loving him? If we want real religion, if we want real greatness, it's not about winning and getting to the top of the teeter-totter so somebody else has then got to lose and go to the bottom. It's the total opposite. It is about getting low. It's about humbling ourselves, about repenting, about being grateful. James teaches us that greatness comes down from above. He says this, the wisdom that is from above is pure and peaceable and gentle, agreeable, merciful, steady, sincere, righteous. That's why we got to get low. It comes down from above to us. But what he's saying here, this isn't just nice religious talk, religious virtue. You know, these are religious ideas. The wisdom from above is a person. It's Jesus who is pure and peaceable and gentle and agreeable and merciful and steady and sincere and righteous. And he has come down from above to us. Greatness has come from heaven down to you and to me. And so James finishes our reading today with some very practical, everyday advice for us. He says, you don't possess because you don't ask. You ask, but you do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. He's talking about prayer, isn't he? You don't have, you don't pray, you don't ask. You want to know why it doesn't sink in? Because we don't pray. Or if we do pray, he says, we pray wrongly. Let me have what I want. Ask yourself, how much of your time in prayer, if you do pray, is spent telling God what you want? So we're back to Mama Mary, Jesus' mommy, whether or not she's going to teach us how to pray. See, you can either say, okay, let me have what I want, Lord, or as Mary prayed, let it be to me as you have spoken. But of course, she's only foreshadowing her baby boy who grows up and goes to the Garden of Agony and he throws himself on the ground in the garden, it says. He makes himself so low. And there Jesus embraces the suffering and the pain. And there Jesus sacrifices his own personal pleasure as he prays, Father, not what I will, but what you will. And then he lives that prayer and actually dies that prayer the very next day, doesn't he? 
all for love, all for us. You know what's really great about teeter-totters when I was a kid? It actually wasn't about who was up high and who was down low. No, what was fun about teeter-totters was when you work together and you get it going, right? And you start getting that momentum moving. And so much so that there would be velocity to the point that you could make your friend fly off their seat up into the sky, even if just for a few brief moments they got some air time. Yeah. I guess they really were dangerous. Love's dangerous. Love is dangerous. It means you have to embrace the suffering and the pain. You've got to be willing to sacrifice your own personal pleasures. But is there anything greater than love? Is there anything better than launching someone into the sky? If you want to be truly great, my friends, then pray. Father, not my will, but yours be done.